When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Give me your, give me your, give me your attention, baby. I gotta tell you a little something about yourself. You're one of our flawless, ooh, you a sexy lady. But you walk around here like you wanna be someone else. This is Bruno Mars. You ever want to know what kind of music we're uh, playing on this program? This is a birthday bumper music selection from Erin Fodor, Pennsylvania's own, uh, who is celebrating her birthday today. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, join the Facebook group. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. Someone that is a prolific poster in that Facebook group who is also a frequent caller to this program, a frequent, a former recipient of the uh, guest of the or um, caller or listener of the week honor and someone that I've uh, been talking to on the radio for uh, over a decade is David Conti, a.k.a. David from the Bronx, formerly David from Huntington, who did win our contest for uh, best question of Ask Friends anything on Friday as judged by Matt Blaze and his cohorts. He asked a question of if I would rather have the body of Shaquille O'Neal or Danny DeVito. I actually thought it was a pretty easy question, but I'm not the judge. Matt Blaze is. And uh, one of the things that we were going to do is have that person, whoever came up with that question, as a guest. And I am pleased to welcome to the program David Conti, a.k.a. David from the Bronx. David, thanks so much for joining me. Yes, uh, good evening. Uh, good morning, Frank. David, you have uh, mentioned... Sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, no, 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 please. No, I was going to say, you've mentioned several times, and I think a lot of the listeners know this, that, you, that you're blind, you're visually impaired, and uh, you were not born that way. How did you come to be blind? Okay. Actually, this happened uh, almost exactly 10 years ago in May of this year. And I've been diabetic for well over 30 plus years. And I'll be honest, I didn't always take care of it uh, properly. I believe that uh, vitamins and supplements would do more than medication, which was a big mistake. And eventually I developed a type of glaucoma that is very difficult to treat. It's called neovascular glaucoma. You don't ever want to hear that diagnosis. And um, I lost vision in my left eye first. And then um, almost exactly two years later, I lost the vision in my right eye. So I'm uh, pretty much totally blind now. Mm. Uh, that uh, mm. That is rough. Now, you've talked about how when you were growing up, your uh, your parents didn't necessarily instill in you uh, proper nutrition or anything like that. Were, were you overweight? No. No, that's one of the reasons people are surprised that I became a diabetic. But 
this is the background. Unfortunately, um, in my family, we had diabetes on both sides. My father was a diabetic, and on my mother's side of the family, it ran um, heavily. Um, my mom actually had diabetes, which I didn't know until um, many years later. And uh, my grandmother had it, and uh, her father had it. So there's been a long history of diabetes in the family, unfortunately. And, um, you know, when you're a child, you can't control what you're being fed. So, you know, our typical meal was a uh, TV dinner. Uh, you know, we only had like soda and fruit juices in the refrigerator. And uh, every night was ice cream or ice cream soda or Twinkies or, or whatever. So it, it wasn't a good combination. It, you, you've mentioned that, um, you, you know, you mentioned just now that uh, you didn't always take care of your diabetes, meaning taking the proper medication and things like that. You know, diabetes is no joke. I have uh, a fr my friend Mike, who's called into this program from time to time. He recently actually had a stroke, and he's a, a young man. I, I always thought relatively healthy, and uh, they think that this stroke might be connected to his diabetes somehow. I've had some conversations with about this over the years with Wilfred Brimley before he passed away. Um, my cousin Natalie, my sister-in-law Sharon, they both had experiences with gestational diabetes. I've known a lot of people that have had to adjust their whole way of life because of a diagnosis of diabetes, whether it's type 1, type 2, or some other type. Given your experience, right, what advice would you have for people? What do you think people should know about diabetes if they've been diagnosed with it? All right. Well, the important thing is listen to your doctor. That's number one. The other thing is get a dietitian and take their advice because, you know, um, we eat too much, and I've spoken about this before, the highly processed food that we eat is a big driver of this diabetes surge that we're having, not just in the United States, around the world. Diabetes is becoming common in Africa, in India, China, uh, anywhere you could think of. And a lot of it is because the American diet has spread all over the world. People are also less active than they used to be. That's a big driver. And once you become diabetic, exercise is important making sure that you eat properly, make sure you take your medications, including insulin if it's prescribed. Ozempic and these other similar drugs have become very important, and they have their own issues, which we could talk about. But I would say uh, the one thing that I've done, which has helped the most since I lost my vision, and I think I'm doing pretty well, is I've stopped uh, eating uh, rice, potatoes, and pasta. Those, are, those things turn into sugar when you eat them, mm. and you don't know until you wear a, a, what I, it's called a continuous glucose monitor. There's several of them, and they tell you what your sugar is at any moment of the day. And um, that's how I know what my sugar is right now. If I, if I could check my phone, but I'm talking to you, so I can't. But, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a multi-phase um, thing. And I've heard people call into your show who've had toes amputated, and, and you know I had some toes amputated in October. Um, you know, these type of things happen. You, blindness. Kidney disease, mm. heart attacks, strokes, you name it. All of these complications are all related to diabetes. So mm. it's important just from uh, if you want to live and live, have a quality of life to take care of it. I, I know uh, if people are just we're talking with uh, David Conti. He is uh, prolific in the Facebook group and on Twitter, by the way. Some of his uh, tweets have been read on CNN by people like Michael Smirconish, probably a variety of other places as well. David, whenever you call, and I've heard your calls not only to me but to a lot of other people over the years, whether it's been radio programs that I've worked on or just 
programs that I happen to be listening to. I'm always really impressed with, uh, obviously, how articulate you are, how intelligent you are, how passionate you are, certainly, about a lot of the issues that you comment on. But also, quite frankly, the diversity of things that you know about. I'll bring up a political issue, or you know about that. I'll talk, I'll bring up an issue related to wrestling, you know about that. A historical issue, you know about that. Even a lot of pop cultural issues, uh, you, you seem to know about a lot of folks have said the same thing about uh, to me about you. Now, don't get me wrong. You drive a ton of the audience crazy. I got a bunch of emails today of people that said they weren't going to listen to the show today because you were going to be a guest. But I think a much larger portion, even those that end up disagreeing with you a lot of the time, they are always impressed with your your intelligence, quite frankly. what? And I know you've had a tough time financially the last few years. What did you do for a living before you were afflicted with blindness? Clearly, you're a very bright guy, well-spoken, and seems like you can research issues pretty well. What did you do for work? I worked in retail my entire life. I worked in retail for over 20 years. Uh, My last job, and I'm sure your people in the Northeast will be familiar with this, I worked at P.C. Richards selling appliances. That was my last job. And before that, I worked at Lord & Taylor, which is no longer in business, unfortunately, um, selling men's suits. And I've sold vitamins. My first job was at a comic book store in Greenwich Village. Um, And let me tell you a quick funny story about that. Um, My comic book store, it was called Village Comics. It was on Bleecker Street. And our um, storage area was in a basement around the corner on Sullivan Street. Well, guess what was above us? And I didn't know this at the time. It was that social club um, where John got the Ravenites. The Ravenite. The Ravenite, <laughs> which I, the last time I saw the place, it was a barbershop. But I had no idea that's what that place was. There was a sign saying it was like a cooking club or something. There was a, like a, a 100-year-old geranium plant in the window. And there were all these <laughs> old guys who I, I was always told to be respectful to, and I always said good morning to, and they were always very nice. I had no idea they were mobsters. That's very, that's that's how very I, funny. That's how naive I was when I came to New York City. But um, – you know, um, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, I worked there for for years, and I had no idea that, that was going on right above the area where I was getting the comics out of. You know, and, um, I, I mean, yeah. that that is interesting. Um, I I do wonder though. Uh, clearly, you are intelligent. You're still pretty young, and you still seem to have a lot of energy. So even in the middle, the wee hours of the morning. Is there something else that you can do for a living now that might be more fitting of your your talents and your your expertise? I mean, maybe doing a podcast or, I don't know, writing a, having a blog somewhere. I know, obviously, there are some limitations when you when you can't see. But I'm curious if you've thought about pursuing anything else professionally that might be a better use of your talents. Well, it's funny you mention that. My uh, both of my brothers have actually told me that I should be doing a podcast or something, and and the late Alan Combs actually suggested that because, as you probably recall, I was a regular caller sure. to his program as well, and um, other people have said that too. So I know that I still have things to contribute. Um, just because you lose your vision does not mean your life is over. I think that's important because I know you have other people listening who are blind, and it, I, I'll be honest with you, it could be very daunting. Um, people don't treat you the same. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm invisible to other people and it's not easy, but I'm trying to be optimistic. And even in the calls that I've, you know, people sometimes have an impression that you and I are always constantly at each other's throats and, and, and we're arguing all the time. That's not true. You know, I would say I agree with you more frequently than not. 
And, you know, there's the occasional call. Don't ruin my reputation here, David, please. Uh, No, but I mean, seriously, you know, there's the occasional call about something that where we strongly disagree. But I've always said you can disagree without being disagreeable. And the fact that there are people out there who say they're not going to listen because they don't agree with me, that's sad. We should be able to listen to people that don't agree with us. Most of the stuff I hear on these stations is not stuff I agree with. But I think it's important to know what other people are thinking and to hear other perspectives other than the ones I agree with. The um, You've talked before how you were homeless and actually ended up in a shelter. How would you end up being homeless and what was your experience like being in a shelter? All right. Well, I was kicked out of my – I was renting a room. And the problem with that is you have no protections at all. And my roommate, who was Egyptian, decided he wanted another Egyptian as a roommate. So I had very short notice. And again, when you're blind, and I had no idea about this, people don't want to rent to you because they think they're going to fall down the stairs or set the kitchen on fire, whatever. So I couldn't find a place. I ended up spending all my money staying in a hotel, and I had nowhere to go. So I had to go into the shelter system. And what I discovered in the shelter system is Whatever you've heard about it, it's 10 times worse because the shelter system, most of them are not run by the city directly. They're run by so-called nonprofits. And I would really like to know how those contracts are awarded because there's something fishy going on there. But the shelters are full of people who are uh, mentally disturbed, former prisoners, many of whom are dropped off directly from prison, uh, people on drugs, and uh, people who just have never worked a day in their life. I have, was more liberal than I am now because having been exposed to that mentality, people who are content uh, to live that way, it, it, it was a wake-up call. It really was. And to have to deal with the health, health issues I dealt with in the shelter, I got COVID in there. I ended up with uh, shingles while I was in the shelter. I ended up with uh, peptic ulcers while I was in the shelter. So that was not an easy life. And to be under constant threat of violence, it was it was not a pleasant experience. Thank God I finally got out of it. Uh, well, let me ask you about at least one story in the news uh, related to health care and uh, related to people's finances. The story of a um, of a Deborah Pritchard, who was a retired factory worker who was always careful with her money, including what she spent on her health care and. Her daughter. This was according to her daughter, Alicia Weiberg. She said she was the kind of person who didn't go to the doctor for anything, and that ended last year when this resident of Tennessee suffered a devastating stroke and several aneurysms, and she twice was rushed from her local hospital to Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. A big shout-out to our listeners listening on uh, WUCT. And this was 79 miles away. She was treated by brain specialists. Ultimately, she died. But the even sadder aspect of this is her air ambulance ride wasn't covered by Medicare, and it's going to cost her family $81,739. What's wrong with this story, David? Okay, there's a couple of things. She opted only for Medicare Part A, which is free. Medicare, Medicare Part B which covers almost, other, almost all other medical expenses um, with very few limitations, costs about $180 a month currently. She didn't want to pay that. All right? That's her, big, that's her first big problem. The second big problem is the way that they charge for services, because I just went through this with my ambulance trip back from the hospital uh, a few months ago. 
Um, $81,000 is not what they would have charged her insurance company had she had Medicare or, or private insurance. It would have been a lot less. When you get charged for something from a, med- from a hospital, you, there's two charges, and I didn't realize this till recently. There's the charge that they charge the insurance company on paper. Like I get hyperbaric treatments every day, five days a week. On paper, it costs $5,500 a day for these treatments. They actually charge the insurance company 500 and change, and I pay $40 a day, okay? Hospitals should be forced to charge you the amount they charge the insurance company, not these exorbitant amounts that they would charge you if you had no insurance. Because people like that woman, her relatives are going to have to pay that out of her estate, which didn't sound like it was very much. That's not fair, okay? And there are ways to get around this, and this is what I wanted to talk about. Most states have a program called the affordable, um, it's called the Medicare Savings Program. You can have, uh, in New York at least, 180% above poverty level and still be eligible. And it will refund you that $180 a month out of your Social Security check. So if that's what's holding you back, at least apply for it. And you can contact whatever state you're in. Whoever handles the Medicare uh, CAID system will be able to set you up with that or tell you about it. That's very important because having insurance of any kind is better than nothing. David, so. unfortunately, I'm going to have to end it there. Uh, let's uh, let's chat again soon. Something tells me we will be. Thank you. Thank you, uh, David from the Bronx. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.